let's see. Mojo. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, screw this. It's Rocktober. Let's get my mojo going. Hi, this is Bernard Fanning. And this is Chad Nickelback. This is John Bon Jovi. This is Dave from the Foo Fighters. This is Joe Elliott from Death Letter. We are collectively the band called Green Day. Hey, guys, this is John Karabi from the Dead Daisies. Yep. And it's Rocktober. This is Okay, this is Michael Hutchins. This is Bono here from U2. You're sitting in history. Basement of Voodoo Sound. Welcome to 31 days of interviews, music, and mojo. It's Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to week three of Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. Thanks for your company. Nice to have you with us. Thanks for hitting the download button. We do appreciate it. We've had loads of great feedback on Rocktober this month. We're having a good time doing it. We're glad you're enjoying it around the globe. Before we kick off the show, let's say good day to Robbo behind the panel. Mate, you've been doing, you've had a big month of production. It's been huge. It's reminded me of the good old days. <laughs> There's always something to do. With the receding hairline from all the hair you're pulling yeah. out during the month. Of, I must say it's sounding very good, mate. It's really, uh, you've done a fabulous job. Rocktober is rocking on the Mojo radio show. In it fact, is. I had a a messenger note on Facebook from mm. our old mate Rob Duckworth during the week oh. during Rocktober. So there you go. How about Good that? on him. Good old shout out. Good old Duck. I'm surprised he wasn't on the golf course. <laughs> he was trying to get in the show, but I said, mate, we're trying to keep it tight. Mate, we've got our room for you. Tight and bright. Uh, you've had your day, Duck. Um, for the people who are joining us from around the world for the very first time, welcome. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Rocktober was a big event in Australia where radio stations would dedicate their whole month to music and interviews and acoustic sets and live performances and mm -hmm. concerts and giveaways. And we decided to bring it back on our little program, The Mojo Radio Show, where mm. we interview people that we think have got something to offer, uh, tips, tools, opinions, stuff that we can apply to our own world in and out of the workplace to get mm. our mojo working to make us better. People We've that make us look intelligent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we didn't set the bar that high, mate. That's right. So, uh, no, no, no. We, got, we talk to them because they make us look smart. Yeah, that's right. We've got, we got loads of good guests coming on because they, they can see how we've got the bar. That's right. They're going, mate, oh, I can get over that easy enough. <laughs> Throw a dog a bone. Yes, um, exactly. Let's uh, let's get into the show. Uh, mm. On this day, what have you got for me? Take me On back. this day, let's go back to 1980. And let's think about, well, the biggest rock band from the modern era. Who do you think we might be talking about? I would take a stab in the dark if it's the 80s. Yep. I would go probably U2. Yeah. I don't know what album it would be, but I would go U2. It was their very first album. It was released Ooh. this week in Rocktober. Boy, it was cool. Good album it was too. Now, I will follow Twilight. That's it because that song was written about Bono's mum. I think. He actually, Bono wrote the lyrics to "I Will Follow" in tribute to his mum who died when he was just fourteen. Yeah, so right. um, so yeah, so that's what that was all about. But um, he uh, he has a habit of writing about people close to him because the sweetest thing he actually wrote for his wife because he was on tour and forgot their anniversary. So mm. um. There's a bit of history there with Bono. I wonder, I wonder whether he's written a song about everybody in his family somewhere along the way. But yeah, that, that was a cracking album. And I must say mm. that the band back then obviously is very different to the band as they are today with the stuff they're putting out on iTunes with Apple and so on. Although yeah. it's not, it wasn't a bad album, though it got caned. Mm. Uh, the more you play it, the more you start to get into it. But I it's must say grower. back in that era um, of Unforgettable Fire and Boy mm -hmm. and... Uh, rattle and hum. I mean, that yeah. was just classic, straight up U2 yeah. rock and roll, wasn't it? Yep. And I think, you know, if there was a, a lesson of Rocktober in, in, in our On This Day as well, it would be just how much they have kept up with the times with their music, which is what has made them so perpetually, um, uh, you know, renowned and, 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 and known and, and popular, I guess. You know, like you take, you take stuff like albums like Pop, you know, and compare that to an album like The Unforgettable Fire, they're so vastly different. But however, I would say I think there's something I think there's a 
if there's a lesson in rock out of what you just said on the band, mm. it may be a long straw, but bear with me, that mm. Adam Clayton, the bass guitarist, has always said that he was the one who looked after the musical integrity of the band. Yep. So although the music has changed, the style has changed, mm. having that conduit of Adam Clayton who will say yes or no to this meets the brand of where we are or where we're going to go to, I think is the same thing that in any business you have to have someone who's the guardian of the brand's integrity yeah. to go, although the brand's going to change, the business will change. Yeah. Is it still being true to yeah. what we are as a brand? Is so, it still you too? Yeah, absolutely. Hmm, there's probably Definitely. a good... Um, be a very good learning there, a lesson of yeah. rock. We've probably premied, premied lesson of rock, but let's yeah. run with it. I was just going to say, I'll get Bono on next week and we'll have a chat about it. How's that? Yeah. Hello, <laughs> this is Bono from YouTube. <laughs> ah, yeah, good times, good times. Good times, indeed. Now, um, what have you got before we rip into the show? Uh, look, you, you, we've done it once before and we, I think we even made an intro, so let's not waste a good intro. Let's play this. You think it, but how often do you say it? What were they thinking? So I got a bit of a what were they thinking for uh, mm. the third week of Rocktober. Now, General Mills... Uh, one of the big uh, sort of cereal slash biscuit slash, you know, everything gluten companies in the States. <laughs> everything glutinous, yes. Everything glutinous. Well, see, here's the irony that, you know, that that I used that term because uh, they were, as a, as a marketing coup a couple of months ago back in July, they were... They were announcing that they had overhauled their production process for five different types of Cheerios. And they were saying that they were gluten-free. Um, you know, and promoting them as such and had it plastered all over the box. But this week, it's actually been found out that they've had to recall 1.8 million boxes because it's actually not gluten-free. Oh, that is so <laughs> bad. Yeah, kind of nuts, isn't it? Well, it, it is. It is. I mean, it's, uh, no, it's criminal. It's actually dangerous because I've yeah. got well, mates of mine who are glutards like me. Yeah. Um, but they're celiacs. And had they had one mouthful of that, they'd be in hospital with all sorts of issues. Yeah. Well, here's but, how you could console them because Jim Murphy, the president of the company, has come out and called it just purely human error. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let, let's <laughs> so, put it down to that, mate. Yeah, yeah that's right. And yeah. I'm sure your mates would feel so much better yeah. about it if they were yeah. in hospital. They'd that's ask, right, yeah. Someone made a mistake. That's okay. Yeah, oh, look, yeah, just stuff happens, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, stuff that's happens. That's all right, that's fine. Although the other learning, Robbo, is mm. the uh, photo. We'll post the story on the show notes mm. for those people who want to dig into this because this is a shocker. Yeah. Uh, but where the alarm bells should have gone off for anyone who's a glutard is the front of the packet that says gluten-free has got whole grain oats. So any glutard <laughs> yeah, right. will know that that itself <laughs> is uh, alarm bells and red lights and sirens. So, I mean, this oh is such God. a bad story yeah. in so many different ways. So, <laughs> yeah, that's um, human error, isn't it? Goodness Whoops. me. Hello. Bom, Oops. Bom. Oopsie daisies. Yes. I wonder how long he'll how much longer he'll be CEO. <laughs> <laughs> Let, yeah, anyway, let's let's leave let's let's leave that dog lie. Um, yes. I've got one for you from the biohacking archives. Okay. When back in the day when we did Rocktober, you would quite often find one of the producers or one of the promotions guys under a desk having a quick catnap. And I found some interesting research today to say, well, how long should you sleep for in a catnap? Yeah. So here's what they are now discovering, that if you sleep for 10 to 20 minutes, this little power nap is ideal if you want to boost your alertness or energy, says the experts. Yeah. And if you go past that, say that you sleep between 30 and 60 minutes, Yep. Then this causes what they call sleep inertia, and then when you wake up, you have that you know how you have that kind of hangover. Yeah, um, that's a dopey sort, sort of, of yep. groggy feeling. Yep. You can't quite yep. get back with it again. It takes yep. you quite a few minutes. Well, that's that's sort of the danger period for you're not quite there, yep. but it's longer than that. Okay. Then if you sleep more than sixty minutes, this is best if you want to improve your memory of um, facts and figures and names and all that sort of stuff. So okay. if you were studying and or you had a big presentation and you were dog tired, you better off setting your alarm for 60 minutes, waking up after 60 minutes, and that's actually really good for remembering all the stuff you're doing before you had a nap. Huh. Then if you apparently, if you go longer into 90 minutes or more, this is what they call the full cycle of sleep. Yeah. 
meaning a lighter and deeper stage, which is where you get into REM, another great Rocktober band, yes, by the way, as a, as a segue. God, you picked uh, me to it. I was waiting for you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are learning cognitive skills, yeah. uh, you would do that and then you would have a longer sleep of 90 minutes or more mm. and that helps you to embed more of the cognitive skills because you go into more like a dream state. So okay. I, although we kind of hear some of these things going on, I think it's interesting that we have the research now to sort of back these things up. Mm, so, mm. Uh, and off the back of that, I did some work, which uh, you'll be surprised to know, that um, I thought, well, we've had a lot of great feedback from our shows. We've done a couple of shows on sleep with Anna Devaina, and those shows were yep. particularly good. Yep. But I was also put in touch with a lady called Carmel uh, Harrington, right. who is also a sleep specialist, but specialises in sleep and performance. And I am doing a gig with Carmel early part of 2016, and I'll put the details in the show notes. Yeah. So I sent a note to Carmel saying, we're going to be doing some stuff together. Would she like to come on the show? And she's agreed. So we are currently oh, nice. setting up uh, an interview with Carmel. Yep. to talk about uh, how sleep does impact performance. So we will recap on some of this stuff, but um, yeah, there you go. Well, there you go. That's very interesting. I hmm. um, I might just go and have a nap now before we do the next interview. Nice little segue, don't you think, into uh, our future, future guests? Did you like that? Wasn't much of a stretch at all, really, was it? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> now, uh, let's rock into the show. Let's do it. 31 Days of Pure Mojo. Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. All right, so who are we chatting to this week? Well, we had been put in touch with a guy called Dr. Jay Spence, and this contact came to us from our old mate, Jackie Fury. Ah. So remember the psychoanalyst Jackie Fury from a few shows back, which rated head off, so to speak. Um, She was brilliant, and we're going to have Jackie back on the show because she was just such a delight to talk to, and her whole body is a brain. Yeah. But Jackie contacted me and said, I'd be working with a colleague of mine who I think you would get on really well with called Dr. Jay Spence. And he is a clinical psychologist who's doing some amazing work. He's done a whole PhD on, can you work with people with anxiety and depression online? Mm-hmm. Debunking the myth that you have to go and see a clinical psychologist face to face. And that in itself, that sort of disruption in an area of medicine and psychology and stuff, really just it got me excited. So I contacted Jay and thankfully he's agreed to be on the show and we have him on the line. Dr. Jay Spence, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Hi, how are you doing? Mate, we are doing uh, really good. It's nice to uh, to have you on. We love having smart doctors on. It's nice to hear saying. Smart people, <laughs> smart people make us look smarter too. Yeah. Well, as we say, Robbo, smarterer. Smarterer, that's right. Yeah. Jay, you're a clinical psychologist. Can you just give us an idea of the sort of work you'd be doing on a day-to-day basis and who you'd be doing it with? Sure. So clinical psychologists, myself included, usually work, well, actually we work in a range of different fields, but what I do is a combination of private practice and research. So I see patients in private practice um, for a range of different mental health conditions like anxiety and depressive disorders, drug and alcohol addictions. And then at the other side of my business is um, doing research into online interventions and a whole series of things about how to make it really easy for people to be able to access some of the best psychological approaches that we've got. So those things fill up most of my time nowadays. Just on the stuff you're seeing uh, when you're doing your face-to-face work and your research, Jay, are we struggling with emotional problems in our own minds and our own being that are really hindering us from having the life that we choose to have, that we want, that we, that we dream of? Yeah, I think that there's always a component that we're going to be hindered by with, with emotional distress. And um, even for the happiest people, interestingly, like people are still will report that there's distress that we go through day to day. So I don't think that the goal is to completely eliminate distress, but there's reductions that can really vastly improve the quality of life. And we've got interventions now that basically work on this idea of improving your emotion regulation, which is like how easy is it for you to to deal with day-to-day stresses and to improve your emotional resilience. And some of those treatments are actually really effective. So 
around 70% of people in the good treatments are going to be able to kind of experience a really marked improvement in the way that they cope and deal with things. And so that, that those types of things I think are really important to be able to get out there because of their capacity to make a big difference to the distress that we do feel. I was curious on the work you've done in your PhD, you've uh, just mentioned it just a minute ago, um, with the online treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. And that was the basis of your PhD. Can you, I'm just curious how that all works. Like what, where are you heading with that? What, what are your findings and how could that help? Well, the issue is, is that we, for psychological treatments, the issue isn't actually treatment. We've already got effective treatments, but now the issue is getting those treatments to the people that need them. Mm. But there's a mini revolution that's been happening in psychology over the last 10 years or so because what people have been finding really consistently is that when you deliver treatments online via web pages and a series of kind of um, reminder systems, that those that combination is now as effective as face-to-face treatment for common mental health issues and non-severe mental health issues. So that's going to encapsulate the majority of people, and it means that you can now get access to really top quality treatments as easily as kind of logging into a smartphone and then maybe having a 10-minute coaching call with a psychologist once a week. And the reason why that's making waves in the psychology community is we used to think that what was really important in treatment was that you sit down with somebody and it's the relationship that cures. And now the relationship is gone from that therapeutic mix and we're finding that the results are the same. And so that's been a fairly startling finding because it's meant that psychology is now kind of moving in one direction where we're trying to refine these internet-delivered treatments and make them easier and easier to access for people. And another version where we're really freeing up therapists to do much more complex, much more involved, much more personal human interactions in the room rather than having to go through the teaching stuff, which is now done by the internet interventions. So it's a pretty exciting development in psychology because it will mean really good things for therapists who want to sit down and focus on the relationship and really good things for internet treatments because of the ability to leverage technology to get these treatments way out into people where people need them the most. such an interesting area. What's the future look like down the track? So project forward three, five years uh, with the world of mobile technology and the stuff that you are studying, what's that look like? Well, in the community, I think what it will look like is that when you go into a doctor's surgery and your doctor makes an assessment that you're suffering from depression or anxiety, instead of giving the offerings of therapy or a prescription, that you'll now also be given the offering of being able to be referred into a cutting-edge, internet-delivered cognitive behavioural treatment. And so there are major clinics that are getting set up with funding um, that will mean that they can treat all of Australia. The biggest one in Australia at the moment is called MindSpot. And that that project is being run by a whole series of really top-notch clinical psychologists that mean that the treatments that they're producing are ones that can help someone who is in Alice Springs and suffering from a domestic violence incident all the way through to somebody who might be kind of working down on a construction site in Sydney. What would be the top three things that you would say be symptomatic that you would say, I think it's worthwhile you doing some work on this? There's two main conditions that are probably going to be the most impairing in the workplace, and those are depression and anxiety. And the question that will pick up the majority of, or the two questions that will pick up the majority of depression is in the last five days, have you felt down or blue more than five out of those seven days? And that's kind of asking, like on most of those days, are you feeling pretty downhearted? And if you're answering yes to that, there's a good likelihood that there's depression there. The other question is, is, have you lost interest in things? Have you lost interest in things that you used to have interest in? That question will also kind of pick up things like depression, burnout. On the anxiety side, really what psychologists think about as being impairing anxiety is, is worrying that's out of control. 
So the question would be, do you tend to worry about lots of different things and do you tend to find it really hard to control your worries? That is indicative of a cluster of different types of anxiety conditions that cause really difficult symptoms for people and stress conditions and then flow-on effects into your relationships. And there are really effective treatments for those conditions. So those would be two questions that I'd say, sorry, three questions that would be able to pick up a lot of uh, common anxiety and depressive conditions that are interfering. That's gold, Robbo. That's big time gold, absolutely. I've heard you use the term intervention a lot and, and we hear it a lot yeah. these days. Is the, is the description of intervention someone coming from the other way, like someone from the outside recognising these symptoms or is it just a new term for going for treatment? Yeah, so an intervention is anything that, that uh, an organisation or a business or a clinician is doing to try to create an improvement. The psychology doesn't usually think about an intervention being conducted by a client or a person in the community, nor that we intervene to try to help somebody. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Because mm, the, the, the classic American, you know, on the American TV shows and stuff like that, you see people talking about an intervention. It's a whole group of people come into a room and confront uh, this person and sort of go, yeah. you know, we think that you're <laughs> depressed or we think that you're whatever. So I'm just interested yeah. because it's a term that's only just started to creep into our vernacular in that sense. And so I'm just yeah. wondering whether that's a, a clinical thing or whether that's just a Hollywood uh, thing. Look, I, it, it has its time and place, but I, I think most psychologists really distance themselves from that type of style Um, because most of the research, especially around things like alcoholism, alcoholism runs on shame and secrecy. Mm. Yeah. Basically Mm. what those kind of interventions are doing is just shaming the person and what you see neurobiological when people induce massive amounts of shame is their whole prefrontal cortex shuts off. So you've got a person sitting in a room who can't respond, feeling absolutely terrible. Yeah. So we'll usually kind of take something like that and just feel worse about themselves and feeling worse is a trigger for drinking. So there are in times when that can work probably as a last resort and probably with a huge amount of support and follow-up to make sure that they get yeah. in. But yeah. I, don't, I don't think the intervention thing is like... Definitely not something that's like a recommended intervention. No, it's always seemed very confrontational. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds a bit sounds a bit finding Nemo to me, mate. Yes, intervention. It become, it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, um, is stress, overwhelm, uh, overwork, the challenges of our work and personal lives? Is it is it just? Is it becoming the norm? I would absolutely love to be able to answer this question because it's something I've been trying to think about for a long time because the question that's in the literature is like, are we getting more and more depressed over time? Are we getting more Mm. and more anxious over the time? How normalised are the new stress points and things like that? I haven't actually seen anybody be able to give a really kind of definitive answer on this. So many Mm. variables that need to be taken into account. But I think that another way to kind of look into this is to say... Depression and anxiety and symptoms that are really detrimental are really common. Mm. So, I mean, you mentioned that before, one in four people are likely to be suffering from a diagnosable mental health condition in the last 12 months. That's a huge amount of people when you take into consideration that there's going to be even more suffering from stress conditions that don't even meet the full criteria that are still going to be pretty hard to deal with. Jay... We, we've had some interesting discussions the last couple of weeks on the show, and one that was really profound was with uh, Shelley Whitehurst, and Shelley is facing cancer right now, and she's had a number of rounds at it. One of the things she said on the show was that the first couple of times around in you know, a facing cancer, people would say, how are you doing? So yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. She said it wasn't until it came back again, and she finally sat down in tears and went, you know what, I'm not fine. Mm. She really said to Rob and I that people have to ask a different question to get behind that. Mm. Tell me a question that you would recommend that would be a good question to use to get behind the shield just to, to create the little, just a little ripple to know that, that per, you might be able to help that person and open up something where you could be a really good friend or mate to help. Yeah, I actually think that the initial question is that like, are you okay is a really great way to start, but the way to mm. go into it further is the important part. So it's one thing to just stop it, I'm fine, because that's the social normative thing to do. But it's a totally other thing to stop and look them in the eye and say, you know what, I'm really worried about you and I want to be able to help. What can I do? Mm. Or something that's 
kind of really demonstrates the amount that you do care. What often happens when I'm sitting in private practice with people is they tell you about those moments and they may not have told the person themselves that reached out to them, but they'll tell a psychologist later on how important that they had that one person that stopped and the moment that they broke eye contact and looked away and said, I'm fine, that they went that little bit further to say, I'm here for you and I'll help and you tell me what it is. And these people can't always articulate what they need that's part of the condition that they're suffering. Yeah. But it makes an impact that they go away with and they talk to me about later on and say, well, you know what, I did realise I had to... I had to do something about it because I didn't care about myself at that stage, but I knew that people like so-and-so really cared about me. So that, that little bit extra, I think, is what it is. And I think that comes from just trusting yourself that if you can demonstrate care in whatever way is natural to you, that that's going to make a big impact. What, what profound changes have you made to your own world based on what you're seeing? So you're observing this stuff, you're doing your research, you're seeing research come through in your online work. What what would be a profound change you've made in your own world as a result of the stuff you are seeing and feeling? Well, I think that the really interesting thing about doing a startup is that your stress levels go back through the roof again. I haven't had this <laughs> stress in startup. I've done a PhD and I swore I'd never look that hard again. And now I'm back in it, I'm finding that I have to practice what I preach every day. So the mm. thing that makes a big difference to me is a regular mindfulness practice, which has become so regular now, it's kind of a, like if I don't do it, I can feel the difference in the same way that if I don't exercise, I can feel the difference pretty quickly. So that has become a really powerful thing for me. I also ended up getting the support of uh, a very experienced kind of mindfulness practitioner that had made a really big difference to have a coach there helping me through. Um, and the other thing is, is I really regularly use the tools that are from cognitive behavioural therapy, um, which are pretty much just ways where you are constantly tracking your thinking in particular, and you're really just asking yourself questions along the lines of like, is this thought really helpful mm. or is this thought really accurate? And I'd say the majority of my kind of day-to-day practice now is just checking in and asking myself what I, what's really running on my belief system and then finding a way to drop those thoughts because most of the time they're complete rubbish, what's going through my head. <laughs> Gee, that's good. <laughs> that's that's really, uh, that's, yeah, that's nice. That's really good. How do you practice mindfulness, man? Give, give me an example of a, a, a day for you where at some point you are, how often, where, what time? Is it a ritual? Is it how, how do you how do you practice mindfulness? Well, it's really evolved over the years. That my current practice at the moment is to get up early and start the day. So the way that I'd normally do that is I sit down and I'll start by just bringing my focus to my breath because that will usually put me into a state of being relaxed. But then the next steps after that is really to no matter what comes up in my experience. I'm finding a way to not be in any resistance with it. And my mind can chatter away as much as it wants and I'll sit there and observe it. And I'm not trying to stop my mind. But in the process of not trying to oppose it anymore, it will usually quieten down. But on the other side, if I haven't done any mindfulness for a while, kind of sitting down with my mind and listening to it is a little bit like taking the tape off a hostage and it's got a lot to say <laughs> for about the first 10 minutes. <laughs> then if I just let it ramble, it will quieten itself out. So my mindfulness practice is really now based on um, uh, like a process also called self-inquiry, which is yeah. part of a Buddhist tradition. And that I've found has been really helpful in just starting to question what the basis of my thoughts is because there's a – a really beautiful concept in self-inquiry where they ask you the question, what am I and who am I? And mm. when you're faced with that question, often what will happen is you really quickly realise you've got no idea who you are. But then something pretty magical happens because then you can start to say, well, if I don't know who I am, why am I believing all my thoughts? And it's so much easier to drop thoughts when you realise that there may the thing that I think is here experiencing all these thoughts may not have a very sound basis. This this word 
living in the moment or being present, do you have a suggestion that people could do immediately to become more in touch with the present moment? Yeah, I think that the best intervention or the simplest intervention is to bring your awareness back to the breath. Mm. Because the breath, something's always there and available. And the technique is to be able to concentrate on a couple of physical sensations of the breath. That might be the area just underneath the nose, or it might be the sensation of your breath moving into your chest. And for every thought that comes into your head, rather than fighting with this in your mind and trying to get it to stop because that's an argument that you'll never win, you keep redirecting your attention over and over back into the sensations of the breath. So the analogy that I heard from a meditation instructor was that it's a bit like walking through a forest path where there's lots of branches in your way. And each of these thoughts will keep kind of popping up as a branch in your way and you just gently push the branch to the side and then you come back to the path. Mm. And the path is just refocusing on the breath. And I've met practitioners who are really experienced mindfulness practitioners and they've gone through everything to do with Buddhism and everything to do with learning Sanskrit and different things. And it's interesting that what they often come back to is, you know, they say, well, I started out with the breath And then I learned everything there is to know about Buddhism and mindfulness, and now I just come back and I enjoy my breath with my friends. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's beautiful. And the reason I asked the question is I saw some research, Jay, from uh, that Microsoft did, and they said that the average attention span of the human being right now is less than a goldfish. Is that a goldfish should get the attention span of nine seconds and our average is eight seconds. And the screen and everything we do is changing the structure and the function of our brain. And it's just yeah. interesting because I think I think we are at a point where, you know, it's part of our life now, but then people are saying, Well, I need to get away from that. And that just their yeah. focus is gone. They just can't, they can't even hold a conversation anymore. Uh, so I yeah. think these things are really powerful. And I really like that idea of, you know what, started with the breath, went through everything else. And I came back and it's as simple as that. But then, you know, as Da Vinci said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication, isn't it? I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, what you're talking about seems really commonplace now. I was reading this morning about the average amount of time it takes for somebody to switch off an app if it's not easily usable for them. I think that was saying that it's about four seconds of not getting out, being able to get it to work properly. So I think that the, yes. the way that I'm seeing, especially younger people using mindfulness and things like that, is to try to create some kind of space in their day for downtime and silence. And even if there's some small way to let the body relax and to let the mind relax, I think that that's correct habit forming. Jay, just a quick question from going on from what you were just talking about, well, you and Gary were talking about with this short attention span. I have a 12-year-old and I have a 10-year-old and I notice mm-hmm. these traits beginning already um, and obviously through working on the show with Gary have some idea of where they're coming from with spending time on, you know, as you say, apps and, and computers and all that sort of stuff. But as a wider picture, do you see as that maybe – part of a, the curriculum or something like that at schools that this sort of stuff should be talked about now? Because, I mean, as a parent, I find it hard to get through to them. And I'm wondering whether, you know, coming from a parent or a specialist teacher or something like that in schools would actually, you know, sort of curtail the direction we're heading? Yeah, I have seen some school, different school systems, especially um, private schools, who've been able to introduce positive psychology classes into their curriculum. Mm. So positive psychology is a, is a domain of psychology that really focuses on improving happiness and improving well-being. And one of the things that they spend a lot of time with is mindfulness interventions. So unfortunately, I don't know what the outcomes from those are, but given that they're slowly proliferating, I'd imagine that the outcomes are really promising. Yeah. And I think it would be great to have a school system that's not only kind of teaching your traditional learning methods, but also teaching these other kind of day-to-day skill sets that we use all the time. Jay, um, what's the most important place you would like to win a gold medal? What would you like to be the best in? Look, I think it would be the the areas that I most respect are around science and Mm. the scientists that I've seen that have completely dedicated their careers to 
um, training in the same way that an elite athlete trains. My old supervisor comes to mind. He's a guy called Nick Titov out at Macquarie University. He actually was an ex-elite athlete, and he basically turned all of the things that he'd learned from endurance sports into being able to um, promote science. And so this guy would kind of have this incredible dedication to his work and incredible uh, incredible standards about the way that he uh, expected science to be done. And initially that drove me completely crazy. But after a while I realized like what the benefits of that were and really to kind of be at the top of your game, you need to be performing at that level all the time. Mm. So I would really hope that one day that one of the awards that I would pick up would be about a, a dedication to science and the improvement of mental health and to be able to have a way of getting all of the treatments that we now have out as far as possible, not just in Australia, but all around the world. Yeah, nice. Um, just one final question. Bruce Lee, the famous martial artist and movie star, once said, it's not the daily increase, but the daily decrease. Hack away at the unessentials. What's something you have hacked away at that you've eliminated from your world in the last year that's had a profound effect on your performance in your day? Oh, I wouldn't say I've eliminated yet, but what I spend a lot of time on is really questioning and dropping thoughts that don't help. So when I sit down and I listen mm. to all the chatter in my mind, it's pretty much on a loop, the same stuff in different versions. Interestingly, the other day I pulled out one of my journals from um, when I was about 20. I read a couple of pages and it was pretty much the same stuff that's going through my head now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so consistency is a big thing with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't pay attention to what's going on in my mind because it's going to keep me stuck back in 1998. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the 80s was a great era. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jay, do you, so tell me about journaling. When, how, when do you journal? Is it a daily ritual? What sort of things do you journal? Because we, I'm glad you brought that up and I'm just going to keep you for, for another minute before we let you go. But uh, Robbo and I have talked a lot to our guests and we find that any high performer journals, and it's something I'm very passionate about. Tell us about your rituals, your process of journaling. Yeah, the, the journaling process that I get the most out of nowadays is by a woman called Byron Katie. Byron Katie's got this really elegant four-question system for journaling where you ask, you write down a thought, usually about somebody else, and you ask yourself these four questions. So, for example, you, I might write down the thought, um, you know, my wife, I'm angry with my wife because she doesn't listen to me. And then you ask these questions. And the first one is you ask yourself, is it true? The next one is you ask, is it absolutely true? Then you ask, how do I react when I think this thought? Like, how do I treat my wife and how do I treat myself? The next one is, who would I be without this thought? And then you write all of that down. And then the really interesting part about Byron Katie's work is at the end of it, you turn it around. So she gets you to kind of say, okay, how do, I'm saying that she doesn't listen to me or understand me, how do I not listen to her and understand her? And it sets up this really powerful dissonance where you realise often, or I realise often I'm asking other people to do things that I can't do myself. And then that's really humbling and it brings me back into a place of being connected through empathy with that person rather than a place of thinking or demanding that my needs need to be met. It doesn't mean that I eliminate my need or that I think that I shouldn't ask for the things that I that are important to me, but it means that I can do that with a lot more humility than thinking that it just needs to happen how I want it to happen. So Byron Katie's website, I think, is thework.com. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's the most, the most powerful tool that I've come across in terms of like a a regular check-in to keep me keep me humble rather than running on ego all the time. Do you journal in the morning or the night, Jay? I usually journal in the morning after I've done my meditation. If there's something that came up in meditation that I can feel I'm stuck on, or especially if there's something that's going on in my life that I'm feeling is really stressing me out, I'll usually just pick it up and make 10 minutes to do it. Yeah. Well, if um, we'll let you go. If you don't mind, I have 
put your number into Robbo's phone on speed dial just in case the Wallabies don't make the grand final, uh, the final of the World Cup, uh, because I'm thinking there'll be some depression, there'll certainly be some anxiety, and uh, I think you'll need an intervention. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm just living in the memory of, you know, the under-12s from a couple of weeks ago. You know, Intervention. Yeah, intervention, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still basking in the glory of a premiership. I'm not worried about the Wallabies right now. Yeah. Well, I reckon you get Dr. J. Spence down next year to start the season I'd off. Be happy to talk to them. <laughs> and congratulations <laughs> on the win. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't tempt me, Jay, because I might take you up on that. <laughs> you sit up every guest, Jay. Um, <laughs> mate, it's been, uh, it's been such a privilege talking to you. Really, really good to hook up. Um, super cool, mate. It's been such a, such a treat having you here, isn't it, Robert? It has, absolutely. I've, I've learnt a lot. Yeah, thank you, Gary, and thank you, brother. It's great to talk to you. Um, just to make this useful for folks as well, Jay, um, can you point us to your website? Because I know on your website you actually have some little Q&A, what, call them like little di- simple, quick three-minute diagnosis programs people can go through for free just to give themselves a sense of some of these questions you're talking about. Is that is that is that... Am I saying the right? Is that the is that the right thing? Yeah. You want to send them to your website, Jack? Yeah, the website is getuprise.com.au. It's like G-E-T and then Uprise. And there's a if you click on the link on the homepage, you can do a questionnaire that's kind of the same ones that you would use in a research trial. It will give you a quick understanding of what the symptoms are that might be you may not actually need to live with. And then if you identify that you do have symptoms there, then you can go to either see um, a psychologist or a therapist to get help with them or you can contact me and I can help you out with them. Good on you, mate. That's great. Well, thanks, Jay. We really appreciate your time, mate. Um, it's been a re- really, really good chat to you. Yeah, you too. Had to thanks, talk to Jay. you guys. Cheers, man. Take care. See you later. On the Mojo Radio Show. 31 days of interviews, music and mojo. It's Rocktober, bitches! Well, that was a great interview for Rocktober. I, I really liked him. Yeah, he's full of value. <laughs> full of it, yeah. Full of it. Yes, he's full of it. <laughs> he no, is not brimming with value. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, hang on, hang on. The phone, the Mojo phone's ringing again. Hang on. Yeah, g'day. This is the Mojo Radio Show. Who's this? This is Ty Pritchard. Ah, oh, from Rose Tattoo. Yeah, that's the code, man. How you going, mate? Keeping busy? Yeah, pretty busy at the moment, which is great. Hey, Di, it's Gary here, mate. We've been uh, we've been busy ourselves bringing back Rocktober, buddy. Yeah. And, uh, as part of that, we do a segment called The Lessons of Rock. You've been on the road for a couple of decades now with the Tats. There must be a great lesson you've taken from the road. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you've got to diversify to, to survive and stuff. You've got to diversify, but don't compromise because people aren't stupid. Uh, the, the public aren't stupid. Uh, they know sincerity and you can't fake it. And they, they get off on someone having a good time doing what they really love to do. Like I've I've had a lot of people that I've known over the um, over the, the near thirty odd years I've been playing professionally and stuff uh, that try and sort of go oh let's jump on that genre or or this or the mm-hmm. great one is like let's go country. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, really, yeah. you know I mean that's no that's not saying anything bad about country music, but you're either are or you're not, you know. Yeah. You are or you're you're not, you know, so just stick to what you're passionate about and the music that you love and that you love to give, and um, that's that's my best advice. Do you reckon it's gold, brother? I reckon that's absolute gold. And I read into that too, what you're talking about, the frustrations that must be there as well. Like I know from behind the scenes how hard it is to get radio to play a single and, you know, all that sort of stuff. There must be must be frustrations along the way especially when you are trying to trace stay true to yourself there must be frustrations that sometimes just seem insurmountable oh, yeah. and I was just wondering how, how you deal with that oh, so you just roll with you have to and we're, we're in, as you guys know we're in very interesting times now mm. um, the whole model of the music industry that, that a lot of people have sort of like known and loved it's, it's almost like that's that was that's now also kind of seen as Menzies you know <laughs> you know what I mean it's just yeah. like the record companies are gone on. Um, the playing field is completely open. The internet has sort of, it's done some things that have sort of made us all sort of go, but then it's done some things that have made us sort of go, oh, you know, it's sort of, the whole world is now a level playing field and it's up, it's gotten rid of a lot of dead wood. Yeah, yeah. 
You know what I mean? And a lot of, and I say dead wood, I'm not talking about just as in terms of, of the artist, but in terms of the way of thinking. Yeah. You know, like a kid in a bedroom somewhere uh, could come up with some fantastic music, and it's up to him, not a record company or an A&R guy or this great stodgy, fat, constipated white machine that used to <laughs> tell us how we listened to music 30 yeah. years ago. That's it right. wasn't up to, it's, it, that great part's actually up to that kid and how much he wants his music heard. Yeah, look at Justin Bieber, poster yeah. boy for that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a question, we were with the Dead Daisies last week and uh, we sort of dug into their music and their music styles and, and them as performers and there's a question that, that I asked the boys and I was quite surprised their answer, that I asked them about where kind of spirituality or meditation or silence doesn't play a part in the life of a, a rock star. Is... Is is that part of part of your world as a performer, actor, as a man? Is there a, is silence a big part for you, or is you know meditate? Does that play a part for you? Oh yeah, it, it has to. It's it's quite. Um, if if you're that if you're a spiritual person or not, um, just by virtue of the fact that you have to do you have to focus everything into one moment, then you, it, it must be a part of your life. You must, and you can't do that without taking time and just going. And being silent. You know, if you concentrate everything into one thing, if you, if I, if I'm doing a project, nothing else exists except for that project. You have to be quite single-minded and to focus yourself on that. Yeah, there's certain things to do. Like I've done yoga and stuff for years, and um, and meditation. Yeah, and meditate. A lot of people tend to, tend to sort of get a bit funny about, oh, meditating like it's some great distant experience. No, it's not. It's just taking time with yourself to just. Um, be silent, really, and be in the moment. It's all about one moment. It's just so interesting, Di, isn't it, Rob? I mean, we've we've talked to a number of people about this, from corporate people to meditation experts from Los Angeles and stuff. But to hear Dead Daisies and Di Pritchard from Rose Tattoo to Di Pritchard Band, <laughs> who are hardcore rockers, going in mm. this area, it just goes to show, you know, that, that the curtains have been drawn down on this thing and it's now being accessed by everybody only because of the power of it, right? Yeah, yeah. and a lot of it too is just like, and, and just, just looking after yourself for just general fitness, you don't have to go nuts, you know? Mm. It's not like fitness for vanity, it's just fitness for your mind, you know? Do you yeah. journal, Di? Do you keep a do you keep songbooks that you keep lyrics and stuff in or, or notes or thoughts? Do you, do you yeah. keep a journal? Uh, yeah, all the time. Like I'm, yeah, I, I do keep a journal. I, I write, so obviously. Um, I, I write a lot of the stuff. I can write songs and not write anything down, and they can stay there for sometimes yeah, uh, years. And then all of a sudden, I might finish that, and then it, it, it gets written down. And it's, it's sometimes it's that action of committing it to paper that will commit you again. You get in a moment, you focus, and that's when the song comes out. But the song could be floating around in my head for a decade. Yeah. Are you one of these people that get inspiration in the middle of the night? You hear so many times you hear about, you know, Keith Richards and all these all these, you know, songwriters getting waking up in the middle of the night and just having this epiphany and, and writing it down and waking up the next morning and going, Wow, where did that come from? Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, yeah, that happens. I'm sure that happens to all of them. Everyone has their own style of um like channeling their art or, or where they where they draw draw upon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that happens to all of us. I've had aha moments like that. And sometimes it could be after um it could be after a great show. You could see someone else or hear some new music and that will inspire you and make you think, yeah. Oh wow. Mm. Sometimes yeah, a new guitar is the best motivation for me. <laughs> 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 it's really funny, I'll do a new guitar. <laughs> Is, is that the way you sell it into your wife? But honey, a new guitar might make her, you know, a number one hit. <laughs> I need a song. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of lucky. I'm kind of lucky because my, my mum wife's actually a full-time musician as well. So between right. us, we've got a lot of guitars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's not too much selling to do then. That's great. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So yeah, stuff like that. And then it's weird little things like that that will inspire you. You know, mm. little things like that. And a lot of times it's um, yeah, just life experience and that sort of stuff. Or, yeah, it can be the weirdest thing, a good meal. You know, it's like, you know, anything like that. Yeah. It's being open to it, isn't it, Di? I mean, those same things are happening to everybody. Mm. But as a songwriter, it, it must be the fact it's part of your DNA that you've got to be open for these things and almost searching like a journalist looking for lines and oh, yeah. themes. It, it, would that be fair? Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. And a lot of it's kind of like, you hear a lot of songs and they're quite cryptic and the way people write. And some of that stuff is quite personal, but in within... 
within that, it's also open to interpretation. So if you write something with a certain sort of sentiment about a feeling and someone else puts a completely different spin on it, mm. um, that doesn't matter. They've taken something from it. It's, that's what it's about. I was talking to Robbo about the song that can't be beaten that you guys did as Tats. I did a corporate gig with Angry a couple of years back, which was just brilliant. And he told yeah. the story of how the lyrics came to be for Can't Be Beaten. Can you share what that song's about? It was a piece of paper. I think Angry was a, 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 it was a football match. I think it was overseas. Yeah. And um, someone had scrawled, the team that was, that they were, someone had scrawled on a piece of paper because they were down like 4-0 or something. But someone had scrawled on a piece of paper, we can't be beaten on this piece of paper. And I think he found it. It was just blowing around and he saw it. And that was it. Wow. That was the inspiration for that song, we can't be beaten. Yeah. It's just, it's just so funny. ironic that even yeah. recently when, it's, when the Wallabies played England, mm -hmm. that England were getting beaten and yet the crowd still sang and still sang louder and louder. Mm. Whereas right. in most countries, when your team is being beaten, there's you can hear crickets in silence. Yeah. That's right. It's, yeah. Just a, yeah. it's just a great song that when you actually know what the story is behind it, um, I think it's just yeah, a great anthem. You, you guys must love playing that track when you're out with the tats, mate. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it to death. I love it to death. Yeah, that's that. That's probably beating these card for life and rock and roll is king are probably my favourites to play the taps. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> they're both great songs. <clears throat> they're both quite anthemic, yeah. and you can relate to them. Yeah, like, like Angry's pretty cool. He's sort of like a, 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 a quite an urban poet. Yeah. You know, like a lot of yeah. people relate to what he writes on a grassroots level. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's nothing. It's not it's not Hemingway. I don't think there's many Tats fans that want Hemingway anyway, is there? <laughs> no, no. That's a good song title. Like that. there's, there's the next Tats yeah, album. Yeah, there's the There'll next Tats album. It's Hemingway. not Hemingway. <laughs> there's no place for you here, son. <laughs> We can Hemingway for life. <laughs> there you go. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting, now we're getting a song. Guy's got his journal open. Guy, before we let you go, mate, just um, just on that, uh, looking through your bio, you've played with some of the greats of Australian, well, on the international stage, but Australians like, you know, Barnsley, Glenn Shorrock, Doug Parkinson, Livy Newton-John, and the Tats. I mean, the list goes on. Is there somebody that you've played with or around that's given you a piece of advice that you, in the music industry, you've never forgotten that to this day still has an impact on you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Billy Thorpe. Yeah, Billy Thorpe. I started with Billy Thorpe. I was with Billy for about eight years, and he was he was quite an enigma. He was an amazing musician, uh, quite an underrated guitar player. A lot of people didn't realise what a great guitar player he was. And the best piece of advice he gave me was that, he said, Die, he says, a man can only handle as much fame as he's built for. He says, any more will kill you. Mm. you see, and that was like, I thought about that and I thought, yeah. And it, it was basically, he was saying, look, you can be as famous as you want. And that was another thing he told me. He says, you can be as famous as you want. It just depends on how much of an asshole you want to be. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, I took something from that. And I thought, yeah, that's it. You know, he yeah. says, do you want to be famous or do you want to be a good musician? Do you want to be known as, as, as an artist, as a guitar player or whatever? Or do you just want to be famous? No. Mm. And we live in an age now, like Andy, Andy Warhol got it right, man. We've got YouTube, everyone's famous now. And everyone's famous. So it's sort of being famous means nothing. But um, yeah, to be true to art and be successful, and I'm not talking about in terms of financially successful, what people remember you as like, or they'll hear what you do, and they'll hear a body of work and go, oh, yeah, that brings me great joy. Oh, that was that guy. You know, I was like, mm. yeah. Gold, Gary. That is gold. There's gold and then there are chords and the truth, Robbo. And um, Di, we'll let you go, buddy. But um, I must say, I, I've listened through the album and I, I think it's a, an absolute cracker. And my favourite track was Lonesome Joe. I just, that was really in my lane. I played it to my uh, to my wife, actually. Um, where, where can people 
get more of you and hear the album. And yeah, man, it's, it's, I like my album. I like my albums, so I can, you can get it just it's on iTunes. It's available for, via iTunes, um, and or, or just to my website. If you just go, just Google Die Pritchard, and you'll get to diepritchard.com, and and yeah, you can just just buy the album through the through through my website, your physical copy, or yeah, and I, I'll hurl one out to you, even sign it. <laughs> When's um. Mate, where, where are you playing next? Where can we catch up live with the Die Pritchard Band? Uh, Die Pritchard Band, um, actually, the next one I've got, because I live here in Newcastle, the next actual Die Pritchard Band gig I've got is on the 29th of November here at uh, the Wickham Park, Wickham Park Hotel in Newcastle. Right. Yeah, awesome. and then I'm out and about with a whole bunch of other people. I've got gigs with, um, uh, I'm doing a great show with, called uh, Blood, Sweat and Beers, which is with guys from the Angels and ACDC. We've got Mark Evans and and uh, James Morley and Jimmy Hilburn. And um, wow, yeah, so that, that'll be touring around. Yeah, oh, that'll be great. That's sort of, yeah. we're pretty excited. That'll be touring next year. I do the Oz Rock Road show with Johnny Pry and the guys from Matt Finish. I do that as well. Uh, Monsters of Rock, which is another great band that I do with the guys from the Screaming Jets because we're all Newcastle people. Um, doing a big show on the foreshore with them on the 1st of November up here in Newey. And, that, and uh, various people, I'm doing the, the Weekend Warriors program. also coach, well, I'm the Newcastle coach for Weekend Warriors, which is something that I love. I love doing it in the middle of that at the moment. Yeah, you and Paul do that. Yeah, we had a chat Paul Yeah, a yeah, Paul Chris and I do. Yeah, oh, yeah. Weekend Warriors is great. I've actually got the Weekend Warriors gig here on the 18th of October at the North Star Hotel here in Newcastle. Yep. So, yeah, so anyone's interested in doing that, that's a, a project that's pretty close to my heart. Um, it's basically a men, men and women between 35 and 65 that sort of want to have a crack at being in a rock and roll band. I sort of like coach them through it and we put a gig on for them and raise money for charity. It's great. Do you remember the website for that offhand? Otherwise, we'll stick it up in the show notes anyway. I can't remember. Yeah, it. yeah. I think it's www.weekendwarriors.org.au, I think. Yeah. Well, mate, thank you so much for your time on Rocktober. We've really enjoyed having you here on mm, the, the Mojo Radio Show. Thanks for sharing, buddy. It's been really, really good chatting to you. Yeah, thanks, Di. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Gary. Thank you very much. 31 days of pure mojo. Rocktober. On the Mojo Radio Show. See, Rocktober, mate. All the stars are coming out. Everybody's Let me tell it. you, Rocktober cred, Rose Tattoo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ching, that, yeah. that right there, there's gold and then there are four chords in the truth. That is. Yeah. And notice how I tied that back to you two. Oh. Oh, mate. I tell you what, you're on it today. Hey. I tell you what, just fire on all, right. all fours. That's a big show for Rocktober. We should get out of here. What massive do you got, show. What do you got acoustically for us? I've got uh, a fantastic Newcastle band. In fact, just talking to Di from Newcastle, Screaming yes, Jets out of Newcastle as well. An yep. acoustic version recorded a good few years ago now, but we talked about John Denver last week. Yep. This is um, the Screaming Jets doing his song, Leaving on a Jet Plane. However, there are a few lyric changes which you might be interested in hearing. Mate, that is a classic. I love that track. And you'll love this. This is such an awesome version. So um, right. let's get out of here and get it on. Enough said. Next week. See ya. Oh, my bags are packed.
Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.